Well, uh, well, the end is near, right? Okay, that phrase can be applied to a few different realities. Okay, the, the end of the school semester is near, correct? I mean, can I get an amen, hallelujah, anywhere in there, please? Okay. I don't know if you guys realize this, but uh, the last final at Baylor University is exactly three weeks from today which means some of you will be done with this semester in less than three weeks. And I would imagine some of you are like, that is correct. In actually two weeks, four days, 12 hours, I will be done. So that is true that the end is near. The end of the school year is near, but then there is, it also applies to another reality. For some of you, the end of college is near. So in just a little less than a month, you're going to be walking across a stage. For others of you, the end of dating and engagement is near. And you are counting down the days to your big day, right? Here's here's the reality that I want you guys to think about. Sometimes the end of something is also the beginning of something. So like the end of the school semester is also the beginning of summer break. And the end of college is actually the beginning of your career. The end of dating and engagement is actually the beginning of married life. And that's what we see happening here at the end of the book of Revelation. Right here in the last two chapters, what we see is the end of one thing and the beginning of something else. Uh, Here in the end of Revelation, what we get is the end of this earth. And then at the same time, the end of this earth actually marks the beginning of a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, It's interesting, as we have journeyed through the book of Revelation, what we have seen is all of these different pictures of the end of this world. And so there's been multiple times throughout the book where we just see Jesus take this place out. And it's very graphic. You see the sky kind of rolled up like a scroll. And you see mountains and islands removed from their places. And you see people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ running into caves, huddling together, asking for rocks to fall on them so that they can avoid coming face to face with Jesus Christ. And as we have journeyed through the book of Revelation, and I've seen all these pictures of the end, they've been such sobering pictures that I want to kind of uh, tell you, especially those of you who are kind of living for the moment, what I want my message to be to you is um, live with the end in mind. But now that I've read chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, and now that I've studied them, I want my message to you to change. Because what these two chapters unpack is the beginning of, of the new heavens and the new earth. And as we look at the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth, what this passage is going to do is it is going to fuel our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It's going to stir our hearts with hope, and it is going to ignite a deeper passion for Jesus Christ. It will ignite a more full worship of him. So here we go, right here, 
at the end of the semester, at the end of the school year, at the end of the book of Revelation, I want you to be clear, one of the best things you can do moving forward is live with the beginning in mind. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Revelation 21 and 22. Hopefully you're already there. But this truth, I hope, is transforming for you. I'm not challenging you tonight to live with the end in mind. I'm now challenging you to live with the beginning in mind. So let's look at the text. I will say this. Um, The repetition of ideas in these last two chapters is really unreal. As John has these various visions of the end, we see the same things repeated over and over and over. And it's really, really encouraging. Because what we're able to do is we're able to walk away from these two chapters very clear on a few things that will be true of the new heavens and the new earth. The first thing that we can be clear on is this. In the beginning, faith will no longer be necessary. So imagine that. Imagine what I just said. In the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. And just to be clear, when I say in the beginning, whatever is true in the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth will be true for all of eternity. So just know when I use the phrase in the beginning, I'm talking about all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. In the beginning, faith will no longer be necessary. And this is really good. Because you think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. What does he say? He says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 8, he says this. Though we have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. This is, this is our reality as Christians right now. As Christians, we walk by faith. We do not walk by sight. Even though we do not see God, we seek to love him. And if I'm just being honest with you about my personal relationship with God, sometimes it can be extremely challenging to walk by faith. It can be really tough to walk with a God that you cannot see. And I'm just trying to be as honest as I can be. It is difficult sometimes. I struggle sometimes in my prayer life. Simply because I can't see who I am talking to. There's times where I will give into temptation because a fog will kind of build in my mind. And I can't see just how beautiful Jesus is in comparison to sin. There's times where I shoulder stress and anxiety simply because I can't see the all-powerful, all-knowing God that is with me every moment of every single day. Can you resonate with this at all? Do you know what it's like to struggle sometimes walking by faith instead of by sight? Well, the good news is Revelation chapter 21 uh, tells us this. Revelation 21 verse 2, it has great news. Because John has this vision of the new heavens and the new earth. And and look at what it says. Revelation 21 verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, So he has this vision of a new city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And we get a little bit more information on this city in verses 9 and 10. Look at what it says. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last 
plagues and spoke to me saying, come, now watch this, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So I don't know if you saw that there, but the new Jerusalem, the holy city, is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ isn't in the new Jerusalem, the holy city. The bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem, the holy city. And that might be perplexing just to kind of get your mind around that. Just keep in mind that John is having a vision. So not everything just kind of equates perfectly. But this is very important because when he's talking about the bride of Christ, what is the bride of Christ? Well, the bride of Christ is the universal church, which is the people of God. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the people of God, the universal church. And when the scriptures refer to the bride of Christ, you are a part of that. And so when, when we see this new Jerusalem, this holy city coming down from God, adorned as a bride for her husband, you are a part of that. And I love the fact that it uses wedding day imagery. What we see right here in verse 2 is that moment where the doors fling open and there is the bride in all of her splendor and all of her beauty coming down the aisle being united to her groom. And this is the beautiful picture that God gives us. This is what is in store, that we, the bride of Christ, like a bride, will be united to our groom, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about, at least in our culture, everything that needs to happen just to get to that moment on your wedding day where the bride is united to the groom. What's everything that has to happen? Well, first, the dude's got to do something. And you got to get a date. And then you got to date a while. And then you got to put a ring on it. And then you got to go through this engagement period where you plan a wedding all to arrive at this moment on your wedding day. And I'm just speaking from personal experience, but um, I absolutely hated being engaged. So, like, if you're engaged right now, congratulations. Really excited for you. I don't envy you at all. Because on one hand, it's really exciting to be engaged. And then on the other hand, it's absolutely miserable. And I would never want to do it again. I mean, it's exciting because like now you're on the clock to get married. But then it's miserable because all you want to do is be married. And so I know for Kat and I, when we were engaged, man, it was, it was miserable having to go home at night and leave her and separate. And we were dating long distance during our engagement. So that was miserable just having to communicate from or by phone. And at the same time, it was miserable kind of putting the brakes on when the hormones were in overdrive. Some of you are like, I know what you're thinking. You're like, L. Hey, like 35, L. Yeah, all right. I'm just telling you how it is, all right? That is where we are at right now as the church. We're in this engagement period where on one hand, it's exciting 
to be Christians, yet at the same time, it can be tough to walk by faith. It can be challenging sometimes to pray to and put your trust in on a daily basis in a God that you cannot see. It can be challenging sometimes. But, make no mistake, a day is coming when the doors are going to fling open. And we, the bride of Christ, are going to walk down the aisle to our groom and we are going to be united with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And I love this imagery of a bride and a groom because um, just, like the in, just like a bride and groom experience oneness in deep amounts of intimacy when they are finally united with one another, that intimacy that a husband and wife share is just a, a pale, dim reflection of the intimacy that awaits us one day at the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth when we, the bride, will be united with Jesus Christ. Look at the words of verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And now you skip over to chapter 22 and verse 4. This is the pinnacle of our existence. This is the whole point of eternity with God. Verse 4, they will see his face. That's what's in store for us. In the beginning, when God makes all things new and we see Jesus face to face, faith will no longer be necessary because we will walk by sight. And so here's my encouragement to you. My encouragement to you is to live with the beginning in mind because you know what happens when you begin to live with this beginning in mind, knowing that one day you're going to be united with Christ? What happens is it gives you perspective on walking by faith. And what you begin to realize is that in light of all eternity, when you begin to picture the timeline of eternity, the amount of time that you are asked to walk by faith, this measly 70, 80 years on earth is like the blink of an eye in comparison to the amount of time that we will walk by sight. And so when you begin to live with the beginning in mind, what happens is it fuels faithfulness. It causes you to dig down deep and be full of faith or faithful. And so here's my encouragement to you. When you begin to live with the beginning in mind, it will encourage you to persevere. It will encourage you to press in to the Lord. It will encourage you to seek him, even in the times where you don't feel like seeking him. Living with the beginning in mind will fuel faithfulness. And it will encourage you to walk by faith just for this short time until we have the privilege of walking by sight. That's the first thing that we're clear on. That in the beginning, walking by faith will no longer be necessary. The second thing that we're clear on is this. In the beginning, evil will be a thing of the past. 
Evil will be a thing of the past. Look at what verse 1 of chapter 21 says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So what you need to be clear on is this current earth that we live on is one day going to be gone. It will pass away. And so this is a very strong word of encouragement. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't settle down too much. Don't find your identity in this world because a day is coming where it will be gone. And that's actually a good thing. It is a good thing that this world has an expiration date on it because what that means is when this world passes away, all of the hashtag first world problems are going to pass away with it. And that's a good deal. It's going to pass away. And when this place is gone and the new heavens and the new earth come, look at what will be true. Verse 4. This is, this is a beautiful text that some of y'all desperately need to hear tonight. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't this the kind of world that every single person in this room longs for? Doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or an agnostic or an atheist, every single one of us, every person in this world longs for this type of world. A world with no more breakups, no more divorce, no more sexual abuse or sexual assault, no more cancer, no more chemo, no more, no more hospitals, no more diseases, no more chronic pain, no more depression, no more paralysis, no more miscarriages, no more infertility, no more rejection, no more loneliness, no more death tolls from natural disasters, no more ISIS, no more terrorist attacks. This is the world that every single one of us longs for. A world where evil is a thing of the past. And according to Christianity, in the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth, and honestly for all of eternity, that longing will one day be satisfied. And evil will be a thing of the past. And the visions John has continued to, to emphasize this. It, it, it emphasizes this throughout the rest of the chapter 21 and then on into chapter 22. Look at what it says in, in verses 24 and 25. It says this, By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates, this is talking about the city, its gates will never be shut by day. Why won't the gates be shut? Because there's no reason to shut them. There's no evil that you need to keep out. Because evil will be a thing of the past. And then it says, and there will be no night. Revelation chapter 22 verse 5 emphasizes the same thing. It says, and night will be no more. You think about darkness. This isn't just a biblical thing. In the Bible, darkness is associated with death. And evil, light is associated with light. That's just not a biblical thing. We see that in movies. In most Movies where there is some evil character, they are associated with darkness. Darkness is where uh, evil reigns and death thrives. Saying darkness will be no more. And then in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 21, um, what happens is John's visions kind of begin to clarify who is considered evil in God's eyes. 
who will be done away with. Watch what it says. It says, the one who conquers will have their heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, i.e. hell. So look at this list. It says, it says the faithless will be done away with. Who are the faithless? It's those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. It is those who go their entire life and reject a relationship with God. It is those who look to the natural realm and say there is nothing else. It says the sexually immoral, those who make sex their God, those who, who look to sex and they They do not refuse any desire or impulse. They believe that life is found in sex. Idolaters, those who give themselves over, who look for fulfillment and success, status, money, and other things instead of God. And then look at this one last phrase at the end. It says, and all liars... You know what some commentaries believe that was a reference to? It was a reference to those who played the part, who played the religious game. It's those who knew the right words and knew the right rituals without actually knowing Jesus. The text is clear. These people will not be present in the new heavens and the new earth. They will go to the second death or hell. And then in verse 27, I think John gives us an even greater clarification of who exactly who exactly is considered evil in God's eyes. Look at verse 27. It says, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who are evil are simply those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. So it's a very simple question for you tonight. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? How do you know if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, do you know the Lamb, Jesus Christ, or not? Do you know the one who came to earth for you? Do you know the one who lived a perfect life for you? Do you know the one who died a death, who was crucified on a cross for you? Do you know the one who was raised for you? Do you know the one who wants a real, authentic relationship for all of eternity with you. Because a day is coming when God will deal finally with all evil. Now, let me tell you why all of this is so important. The reason that this is so important to get your mind around the, the fact that in the beginning, in the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth, evil will become a thing of the past. The reason that this is so important that you realize this is because life in this world can be devastating. It can be absolutely devastating. And you need to know, not one of us will make it through this life without being devastated in one way or another by this world. Not one of us will make it through this world unscathed by the brokenness of this world. And I would imagine that many people in this room could look and just say, yeah, a breakup or a divorce or um, uh Cancer or a disease, death of a loved one, sexual abuse, depression has been devastating in my life. 
And if that's you, let me just let me just say, I think it's in these moments when we can be tempted to kind of give God the finger and kind of go our separate way. But you need to know that Jesus Christ is our only hope in the midst of the devastation. Do you remember? We talk about this verse a lot. Do you remember what Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three? He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, do not expect your best life now. Don't be surprised when your life is devastated in this world. Take heart, even in the midst of the devastation, even in the midst of the disappointment, because I have overcome the world. Your heartbreak, your pain, your suffering for 80 to 100 years on this earth won't even be a blip on the radar in comparison to the, to the wholeness and the fullness of joy that you will experience with Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. So live with the beginning in mind because you know what happens when you live with the beginning in mind? What happens is it stirs your heart with hope in the midst of what appears to be a hopeless world. The third thing that is clear is this. In the beginning, Jesus Christ will still be the lamb. Jesus Christ will still be the lamb. Let me just read you a few verses. Watch this. Verse 9 of chapter 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the who? The lamb. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the who? The Lamb. Verses 22 and 23, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. For all of eternity, Jesus Christ will be known as the Lamb who was led to slaughter for us. For all of eternity, Jesus Christ will be known as the Lamb who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to God for us. For all of eternity, Jesus Christ will be known as the Lamb whose blood was shed for us. So just listen to what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is not a day will go by for all of eternity where you will not be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for you on the cross. Not a day will go by where you will not be reminded that Jesus Christ was crushed under the wrath of God, so that you wouldn't have to be. It's interesting, sometimes people kind of lash out against um, Christianity, and they just don't like the idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But if the Bible is true, then heaven is all about Jesus. And every day we're going to be reminded, as I just said, of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us on the cross. So if you don't like Jesus, you're probably not going to like heaven. 
in the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus Christ will still be the Lamb of God who was slain. When you live with the beginning in mind, you know what happens when you live with the beginning in mind that Jesus Christ will still be the Lamb. Here's what happens. You're going to be encouraged. The more you meditate on the beginning, you're going to be encouraged to guard your heart from growing cold to what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. And so you might be encouraged to read more books about the cross. You might be encouraged to talk to your friends about what Jesus Christ has accomplished. You might be encouraged to kind of continually change your language in your prayer life to keep your prayers about the cross fresh. You might be encouraged to discipline yourself with gratitude for what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. And when you live with the beginning in mind, ultimately the result of all these things is that it will ignite a deeper worship in you of Jesus Christ. It will ignite a deeper worship in you for Jesus Christ. Let me just say this, and I want everyone to hear me on this, all eyes on me. Uh, Do you want to know what a sign of spiritual maturity is? A sign of spiritual maturity is this. It is a growing appreciation for the cross. It's a growing appreciation for what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. I think a lot of times, the further we get into the Christian life, um, the, the cross and what Jesus has accomplished for us, um, we can become complacent toward it and it can kind of fade in importance. And then we can begin to buy into the lie that God somehow needs us, that he needs us to kind of um, live virtuous lives, that he, he kind of needs us in this world, this postmodern world where everything is gray. He needs us to live lives that are more black and white, that he needs us to convict the world, that he needs us to go out and change the world. God doesn't need us. He's never needed us. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. That's actually a sign of spiritual idolatry. Because what you are saying is that you are, in a sense, God. And that if change in this world is going to happen, it's going to come through you. No, a sign of spiritual maturity is a growing awareness of just how much you need Jesus Christ to be the Lamb of God who was slain. It's realizing more and more that if Jesus didn't do what he did, then today and every day forward, you would be bankrupt. So live with the beginning in mind. And allow that to stir your heart and ignite a deeper worship of Jesus Christ in you. 
I really love how the book of Revelation finishes. There's just one massive truth that is repeated three different times in the book of Revelation, and I want you to see it. Verse 7 in chapter 22 says this, And behold, I am coming soon. That's Jesus talking. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verses 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense recompense with me to repay each one, of, each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus Christ is coming soon. We don't know the day, we don't know the time, but Jesus Christ is coming soon. And when Jesus comes, it will be the end of this earth. And at the same time, it will be the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. And on that new heaven and on that new earth, there is great news. There is great things in store because on that new heaven and on that new earth, faith will no longer be necessary because we will walk by sight and evil will be a thing of the past and we will spend eternity celebrating Jesus as the Lamb of God who was slain. Now here's the thing. When you realize these things and when you live with the beginning in mind, you know what happens? You cannot help but echo John's response. To Jesus' declaration that he is coming soon, John declares, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know what that is? That is the heart cry of a man who lives with the beginning in mind. Come, Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? And as we pray, I'm just going to ask you to, to, to zero in on my voice. Don't, don't check out in your mind. Don't get so ready to leave that you miss this. We've been talking about living with the beginning in mind, the beginning of the new heavens, the new earth, a place where we won't have to walk by faith because we'll walk by sight, a place where evil will be a thing of the past, a place where Jesus Christ will still be the lamb. I just wonder if anyone in here is, instead of living with the beginning in mind or living with the end in mind, maybe you're just living for the moment. And right now, your life is all about trying to to get everything out of this world that you can, and your heart and your desires and your mind is bent on this world and everything it has to offer. I just want you to be clear. This new beginning that we've been talking about tonight, it is only available to those who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. This new beginning, this new heavens, this new earth, it is only available to those who have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And so with everyone's eyes closed, I just want to ask, if you are in here tonight... 
and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want to take a step towards living with the beginning in mind, the best way to do that, the best way to begin living with the beginning in mind is by stepping into a real relationship with Jesus Christ where you open up your heart and you invite him to come in and be your lamb, the lamb of God who was slain, the one who got up on a cross, died for your sins and rose from the dead. If that's you, with everyone's eyes closed, this is just between you, me and God right now. Will you just slip up your hand real quick so that I know who I'm talking to? Awesome. See some hands coming up. It's awesome. I don't want to rush past this moment. The very significant moment. You want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can just slip your hand up. Awesome. If that's you, I just want to invite you to pray with me just in the quietness of your own heart. Just declare to God what you now believe to be true. Just say, Jesus Christ. I believe that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. And just open up your heart and invite him and say, Jesus Christ, would you come into my life tonight? Would you be my savior? Would you forgive me of all of my sins? Just tell him what you want. Say, Jesus, I want a new life with you. And invite him to begin to lead your life. Say, Jesus Christ, would you begin to lead me in a new way? If that's you, you can put your hand down, but if that's you, I just want you to know that you just made the most significant decision of your life. The scriptures are clear. He who has the Son, he who has Jesus Christ, has life. We'd love to talk to you afterward. You can stop by the Next Steps table afterward. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and encourage you to take your first steps with Jesus. For the rest of us here tonight, I just want to invite you. The band is going to lead us in a couple songs. I'm going to pray in a moment. After I pray, you're free to go, but you're also free to stay. Maybe you just need some space right now to begin to to set your mind on the beginning, to begin to live with the beginning in mind. And maybe right now you just need to allow yourself to be fueled by faith. Maybe you just need to talk to God and say, God, I'm realizing that this 70, 80 years that you call me to walk by faith is just a blip on the radar in comparison to the eternity I will spend walking by sight. Maybe you need to allow your heart to be stirred with hope. Maybe life is disappointing. Maybe it has been devastating. And maybe just in this place tonight, you can begin to feel hope for the first time. Maybe you're here tonight and your heart has grown cold to who Jesus is and what he's done for you on the cross. And so maybe you just need to spend some moments allowing your heart to be stirred up ignited with new 
deep worship for who he is and what he's done. So I'm going to pray. And then this space is yours. You'll be free to go, free to stay. Do business with the Lord in the quietness of your own heart. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done, that tonight there are people who stepped from death to life. There are people here tonight who realize for the first time who you are and what you've done for them, that salvation has come into this place. Your grace has poured into this place. There are people who have experienced your forgiveness for the first time tonight, God. We praise you for that. God, we want to be people who live with the beginning in mind, Lord. We praise you that there's a day where you're going to come and you're going to do away with this earth and you're going to establish a new heavens and new earth. We long for that day. So we echo John's words, come Lord Jesus. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name.